In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Good morning. This is part three of three in our Body of Christ sermon series. We're looking at our vision. We're not going word by word through our vision, but sort of uh, in the spirit of our vision, talking about uh, what our church is just reminding ourselves what we're really about. So let's take a look on the back of your bulletin and read together uh, the vision statement. Church of Our Savior exists to help people wherever they are on their spiritual journey, to live into a personal and intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. Not really rocket science, is it? It's kind of what a church is ought to be uh, about. Well, uh, August 18th, we, um, we looked and we began this sermon series and we looked at the heart of Christ. And what we really talked about was just the gospel message, the uh, message of God's inexhaustible grace for an exhausted world. And we Uh, If you recall, we looked at that just wonderful, familiar invitation of Jesus, Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. We said that that gospel message should create a gospel culture uh, in our church. And so the next week we looked, uh, that was August 25th, we looked at the mind of Christ. And we talked about getting to know this God who has given us such amazing Grace. Uh, we talked about getting comfortable with God's Word through personal study and uh, maybe by joining a Bible study. Uh, and if you missed either one of those two sermons, you can go on our website and listen to them again uh, or on our podcast on iTunes. I hope you'll do that. And this week we're talking about the hands and feet of Christ. Why we, as a church, as the body of Christ, why we are to share the love of Christ. Why, maybe a little bit of how, uh, we help the communities we live in to flourish. We build bridges to help them wherever they are in their spiritual journey to live into a personal and intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. And I want you to see, before we really get into the meat of this today's sermon, I want you to see that the order of the sermon series is really important. Um, if you think of the church the ministry of the church like a tree, maybe like one of our grand oaks out on the lawn. Uh, We started week one, we are rooted and grounded in what God has done for us. It is the gospel message that feeds us, that nourishes us, that stabilizes us. That's our roots. And then week two, we talked about study. So that's growing up into Christ. It's our study that gives us spiritual strength and gives us a height to our faith. And so this week, we're talking about reaching out, and that's the branches. The branches reach out in all directions, and it's really the branches of the tree uh, that make the tree beautiful. It's the branches that also produce the shade and, and um, that covers and protects. It's the branches uh, that produce the fruit that is so sweet and delights and nourishes. The branches are what other people notice. The branches are the reaching out. But in a tree that's all root and trunk, but no branches, it might be sturdy, but it's not beautiful. And it can produce no fruit, and eventually that tree is going to die. Right? But conversely, a tree that is all branches, but has no root or a spindly little trunk, that's just going to blow over, snap in two. 
but a tree that develops a strong root system and a strong trunk, and as a result has a beautiful canopy of branches and leaves reaching out. That tree, that tree is going to be around for generations to come. You can't start with the branches, but the branches reaching out are a vital part of the health of the tree. And that basically is my whole philosophy of ministry in church. Uh, all in a nutshell, tend to the roots and the trunk, and there will be a vast, fruitful, and beautiful canopy of branches that develop over time. So today, uh, since we've already talked about uh, being grounded in the gospel in week one and week two, we talked about growing uh, our faith through study. Today we're talking about reaching out, how we as the church are the hands and the feet of Christ. Now, some might call this uh, social justice. Some might call it outreach. Some might even call it evangelism. I really think of it as just living the Christian life in the world around us, being a Christian within our spheres of influence. And the way that we're going to talk about uh, this is we're going to look at the parable of the talents. Father Trent read Matthew chapter 25. And there's two things I want you to know about the parable of the talents. Number one, it is a parable of judgment. It's a parable of judgment. This is the middle of three parables that Jesus tells right uh, in a row just a day or two before he was crucified. And all three parables are about what is going to happen when he comes back. So what's going to happen? What is it that Jesus is going to judge? Actually, this parable makes an astonishing claim about what gets judged. Second thing I want you to know is that a talent in this context uh, in, in ancient Israel was a huge sum of money. Talent was, one talent was equal to about 20 years wages for one worker. So I did the math. In our modern day, it's a little, little over a million dollars for one talent. And our sense of the word talent, like a special ability, oh, he's so talented, she's so talented, um, that that's derived from interpreting this parable metaphorically over the centuries. Uh, you know, you use whatever you're given to the glory of God, and if this is not money that you're given, well, just use whatever talent you have. And so, three servants, they're given different amounts. We're not really told why uh, they're given different amounts. Uh, it says each according to his ability, but we're not given anything real specific uh, about that. But what is certain is that the master is super rich, and he's throwing his money around, and he's heading out of town. And uh, he has given each of these servants something that is extraordinarily precious and valuable. He is entrusting to them something that is very precious. Now, you and I, uh, we're accountants, aren't we? Like We look to the left and the right, and we want to count, and we want to see who's got what, and do they have more than us, and, and, and we want fairness. And we want equity. But the master, in this parable at least, does not seem to be concerned with counting. He's just concerned with lavishing. Now, I have a friend who played soccer up at the Citadel. And his coach used to say to him, Men, when it comes to athletic ability, God is not fair. That's pretty, pretty right. You know, I used to want to be a pro football player, but here I am. So, um, still playing on Sundays, though. Um, the, um, but, you know... Uh, who knows why one person gets more than another of anything in life? That's just life. I mean, it's not a political statement, just an observation. 
So three of them are given the talents. Two of them get to work. And one servant buries his talent in the ground. And you can imagine that at some point, the, the two who were given more, they spent their money, right? They, they were investing it. And the one, there's a point in time where the one actually has more than the other ones. And he's feeling pretty good about himself, feeling like, yeah, this was a pretty smart, I hope that master doesn't come back now. This was a, for those guys, because this is a pretty smart move on my part, thinking it was a good strategy. But before the master returns, the two servants began to get a return on their investment. One commentator points out uh, that both servants, the five-talent servant, the two-talent servant, that they both earn at exactly the same rate. They both double their investment. The five gets five, the two gets two. And what this commentator says is that, that grace simply works at its own rate. That it's not the particular shrewdness or wisdom of these servants. It was just simply grace doing what grace does. It grows. At least grace is doing what grace does when grace doesn't get buried in the ground. So the master comes back. And it's easy for us, accountants, to assume that the master is looking at the same thing that we are. Right? Because what are we looking at? We're looking at the money. The master had five talents and two talents. Now he's got ten talents and four talents. And the master is elated. And he congratulates these servants. Well done. So what does he say? We think he's looking at the money because we're looking at the money. But what does he call them? Well done, wise and business savvy servants. No? Well done, smart and productive servants. No? Well done, good and faithful servants. They're praised for their faith in the master. Now, I guess at this point in the parable, it would be plausible maybe to assume that the master is equating goodness and faithfulness with their financial success. But I think that notion gets taken off the table when we see the master's interaction with the one-talent servant. So the servant, remember the one-talent servant, he gave back to the master every cent that the master had given. He didn't lose anything that the master had given him. The servant explains to the master why he buried the talent. One, because he's lazy, even though the master calls him slothful. Uh, he says he buried the talent because he was afraid of the master. He believed that the master was an angry accountant. He was counting every penny. And, and he even believed that the master was unjust, taking what was not his, taking what he had not worked for. And so... This hard master, at least in the servant's mind, his hard master was going to be furious with him if he lost anything. So it was just safer for him to not risk anything. And so he didn't. He just buried it. But nevertheless, the master is furious. Now, the question is, the question is, what is the master furious about? Is it because, is he furious because the servant didn't produce. That does not seem to be what the master focuses on. He doesn't say, what? That's all? Nothing? He says that he's angry because of what the servant believed about the master. Now he does say, you wicked and slothful servant. But then the next sentence is a question. It's a question. It's 
incredulous. It's almost ironic, maybe to the, the point of like he's mocking this foolish servant. If we were to say, we might say, oh, you knew me to be a man who reaped where I did not sow, did you? I mean, that's kind of how this master is, is speaking. The five talent and the two talent servants were good and faithful. They trusted the master's heart. They took what the master had entrusted to them. It was their delight then to work with it and to watch that gift grow. But the one talent servant was not faithful. He did not trust the master and he buried the master's trust in him. The judgment is on the faith, not on the results of the faith. The judgment is on the faith, not on the results of the faith. And just to prove, once again, that the master is not interested in counting or in lavishing, he takes the buried talent and he gives it to the one who already has the most. Because God's not interested in the amount. God is interested in faith that produces trusting, joyful action. And we see that a wrong view of God can lead both to a wrong view of what God wants from us and a wrong view of what we are to do with what God has given to us. I want to read a quote from the late Episcopal priest, author, Robert Farrar Capon. I've read from him before. It's a little bit long, but it's poignant. He says this. He was writing about this parable. He says this. He says, I want to underline the sheer needlessness of fear, the utter non-necessity of our ever having to dread God. The one talent servant with his little shovel and his mousy apprehension that God is as small as himself is such a nerd. He is just one more of the pitiful turkeys that Jesus parades through the parables to shock us, if possible, into recognizing the stupidity of unfaith. The elder brother, the man without the wedding garment, the laborers who worked all day, the Pharisee who tried to wheedle God into thinking he was a good egg, all of these are just cardboard figures. They're cartoon characters designed to elicit only a smile at the preposterousness of their behavior. Now it's true, of course, that they are the figures that we most easily identify with. But then that is because we are just as preposterous. We spend our lives invoking upon ourselves imagined necessities, creating God in the image of our own fears. And all the while, He is beating us over the head with the balloon of grace and the styrofoam baseball bat of a vindicating judgment. In other words, the one talent servant isn't there as some sort of grave warning. He's there as comic relief. We're to think that the one talent servant is such a nincompoop and we're with the other guys in the joy camp. Because where else would any reasonable person want to be? So, where does that leave us in terms of being the hands and the feet of Christ? I'm going to give you four very quick points. First, in giving us himself, giving us his love, his grace, 
God has entrusted us with a gift of immeasurable value. What God has given to you in Himself is far worth far more than anything else that you possess. And burying it, or worse, being afraid of the gift giver, is preposterous. It's crazy. This gift of immeasurable value is to be taken out and played with and shared freely and actively and and intentionally. Just watch it grow. Number two, working with God for God's purposes is part of the party. It's part of what we were made for. St. Paul wrote to Titus, his protege, and said this, God atoned for our sins to purify for himself a people who are zealous for good works. We're not saved by our works, but we are saved to them. It's not that we have to or that we ought to. It's that we get to. We get to serve God. It's part of the party. Number three, everyone needs to serve God with what he's given them. It's just part of our discipleship. God's given you everything that you have. And what he is looking for is faith that produces trusting, joyful action. It's part of our growing in our own personal and intimate relationship with him. Finally, number four. The great thing is you get to serve God by doing what you love to do. It's true. God didn't say, all right, you're ready to serve? Pack your bags, you're heading to Africa. Well, maybe you love safaris and that's a good thing to do. But, I mean, you get to serve him with your talents. I mean, sometimes you just got to fill a need. I mean, I admit. But for the most part, serve God by doing what you love to do. We've got lots of opportunities in and through the church, but it doesn't have to be through the church. I heard a teacher say once that she was in youth ministry all day, every day. And she's finding ways to spread the love of Jesus right where she is. And I totally affirm that. Now, some of you have a heart for the poor. And some of you have a heart for the elderly. Some of you are glad that there's some people who have a heart for the elderly. Some of you have hearts for children or for youth. Some of you are awesome at accounting or problem solving. Some of you are really handy and you're really good at fixing things. Some of you love yard work and others of you are great leaders. And we could just go on and on and on with all those things, all of those God-given talents and burdens, you can and you should serve the Lord. And there are ways that you can do that. Out here that we have, we're going to have a ministry fair, right, as you walk out. And there are all sorts of ways. Some of you that have a heart for the poor, you need to go serve the poor. We've got ways for you to do that. Some of you are just not interested in that, but you love greeting people, be a greeter. Some of you love sort of making things clean, be on the altar guild. Some of you love working in the yard, be on our yard work crew. We have all sorts of ways for you to do it. Or you may have something else outside the church, or you may not find anything out there. We'll find something for you. Like, we'll create something for you. But the gift of grace that God has given you is not just for Sunday mornings. So please take a look at the opportunities 
and know that serving God with what He has given you is part of the party. We are grounded in the gospel. We are strengthened by the word of God, but we must reach out. Now, some of you have hearts for the poor, but you don't have to all have hearts for the poor. You know that the church has to do all those things, but you're just one branch. So what direction are you going to reach out? Amen? Amen.